Hello and welcome back to Audio Pong. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing well, Zach. How are you? Pretty good. So, as a kid, I was always asked, who are my heroes? And I never really... Ha- okay, so I would want to say my dad, right? Mm-hmm. But I always thought that that would be like a cheating answer because everyone else was saying like, you know, a musical artist, a sports player, an actor... And, you know, it's almost like I would just say, I guess, no one, you know, it's like, because I'm like, well, I'm not going to cheat and just say my dad. Because to me, my, my father is and was like, you know, one of the the best people that I could look up to. And one of those, the people I wanted to learn the most from. And now I, I look for people that are, I either find interesting or have interesting works and encourage me to be a great, greater thinker. And is your father still your hero? Oh, I would say, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that I wish I could go back and and just say, yeah, my dad. Why? Why would I? It's like it's not. Yeah, really I, I understand that though. I I mean, I've had a similar thought even when I was a boy. You know, and you and you wonder why at the time you didn't, you weren't honest. But you know, when you when you get older, hopefully, uh, you become more enlightened, and when you do, uh, you become braver with your your beliefs and that's really important and i i feel like i think that's what because i have heroes too and i think that's what those people did or do for me still is that they remind me or they educate me to stand up for my beliefs and when i'm wrong to just accept my uh my wrongness if you will yeah so who who's your heroes um I've got so many heroes. Before we get into it, though, I wanted to mention a couple things about our show. Uh, some new things. Number one, we have a Patreon page now. Oh man! So woohoo! Uh, and you know, we're we're humble guys. We're not going to be begging for money or anything every episode. But if you do feel like supporting the show, um, it will help a lot because it will allow us to do more things that we want to do, buy more equipment. You know, increase everything, our content, our, our, our creativity, all of that. Yeah. Right. So this is, uh, I know we've never said this before on the show, but I wanted to make it clear that this is what we want to do uh, with our lives. Oh, yeah. This if is, we can uh, make this into a profession. And, yeah. I don't know. want it to be just a hobby. This is this is hopefully one day going to be the way we both live. So just wanted to, to put that out there before we get into the conversation too deep. Um, and secondly... We are hopefully going to be cross-promoting or even working with another podcaster that uh, you discovered recently. Yeah, so her podcast is called uh, Understanding Kindness, and she has some some really interesting uh, ideas that are are very different than our own. And it's great to hear different people uh, speak on their on their beliefs that are different than mine because it makes me maybe believe more things or different things. No, I agree. Very, very enlightening in a sense. Absolutely. People can open up your mind. And that's what we're going to talk about today too. But yeah, it's understanding kindness by Danny. Go check it out. I've been listening to it and I really like it. Hopefully, uh, maybe we can get her on the show. Yeah. I'd love to have a good talk or a good argument. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so today, as you said, Zach, um, we're going to be talking about our heroes. Uh, and or however the Zach wants to label it. Yeah, I don't. For call, me, they're, they're heroes. not heroes for me because that's uh, too strong of a word. But they are. They are people who I do find interesting and <laughs> have uh, great intellect. 
So, all right, well, I, I guess I can start with one of mine. Um, so I love Mark Twain, and I, I guess you could say he's sort of my first hero. He's the first um, author that I – he's one of those authors that they give you like in school, right, that you have to read yes. so have to do a book report on. And uh, for me, when I was in school, in grade school – I really loved a lot of the books and the authors that the teacher made us read. And so Mark Twain was sort of the first one that I can recall where I actually went to the library on my own, the school library, right, or the town library, and picked out books of his to uh, read. So you're an overachiever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought at the time I was being a kiss-ass, but I wasn't. I was. I just like Mark Twain. The thirst. And um, I think everyone, every one of my heroes has lots of quotes, and he's by Mark Twain's the most quotable. And he, one of my favorite quotes is uh, is this: "The proper office of a friend is to side with you when you are in the wrong. Nearly anybody will side with you when you are in the right." And that's one of those quotes that I have carried with me ever since, and and, and it's part of how I test a friend. Really, uh, <laughs> like actively or just kind of like you pay attention to these moments. Uh, mostly, it's 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 a passive, yeah, it's a passive attention that I have. Okay, I can think of times where it might have been active. I am definitely that kind of person. I, will, <laughs> I know you. <laughs> I will That's test you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but Mark Twain for me was a philosopher. I guess it could be said that I mean all true writers are philosophers, since there is no writing without introspection. What I've always found unique about Mark Twain was his ability to unveil human insecurity. He's, and I mean modestly too, and, and with humor, he's perhaps the most quotable person in history. I think of him as a, a surgeon of words, but with the delicate hand of a painter. And like all the people I admire, his words make me think. They motivate the search for doubt, and they remind me how to understand that. Besides sharing a great name, uh, I also enjoy his ability for honesty, which is important to the thinker of any age, I think. Um, that's what is perhaps most profound about Mark Twain, that he possessed a mind and a voice that is forever modern, forever relevant. You know, he can fit into sort of any time period and, and make sense. And that's a rare, that's a rare, I don't know if I want to call it a gift, it's a rare skill. You know, there's, there's some writers, there's some intellectuals, some heroes that are really only relevant to their time, right? Whether it's oh. because of politics or economics or, you know, just the, 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 the difference of society and how people lived. But Mark Twain, you can take anything he says and, and apply it to even the world we live in today. And that's what I really like. That's the most profound thing about him for me. So you're saying his honesty and thinking is what was what are you getting at? Like yes, he's. I I want to say that he he had the brain. So what I like most about Mark Twain was not his novels per se, but his editorials, the things he wrote for uh, for newspapers and magazines and things like that. Um, and it's funny. I I try to be as different as I could with the three heroes because I have lots of heroes, lots of people I look up to, uh, or learn from. Um, but he's like the classical example of. Um, of uh, you know a modern contrarian, right? Someone who didn't follow the norm, who thought for themselves, and was brave to to share it, but to also deliver it in a way that uh, a simple mind could understand. You know what I mean? Like the quote I gave about friendship, you know, or the proper office of a friend. Right. I think even though that sound, that uses some 
interesting and clever wordplay. It's you understand it clearly. I mean, oh, absolutely. Everybody can relate to a good friend, you know, a buddy who who, who joined him, stood up for them in a fight, or someone who was there to like kind of take the blow with them when they when they were wrong or did something stupid, you know. And that to me is a test of friendship. Now I don't, you know, I've had friends come up to me and I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. I mean, like, what if your friend committed a gruesome murder and he wanted help hiding the body? I'm like, okay, you're reading this quote well, a little see, wrong. Now, the thing is, I would help some friends hide yeah, the body. Right. There are some friends that I'm like, I don't need to know anything. <laughs> right. What's yeah. this? Please do not tell me anything. I don't want their I name. Don't need any, I don't need any more information. <laughs> yeah. Then I just need to help you with this. No, I yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it actually does apply to even something gruesome like that. One of one of my my tests of friendship is to see who will help me move. Well, that, that is, is my, that's the that, age old <laughs> test of friendship. Yeah. That my that was my first my dad gave me that advice when I was a boy. He's like, you know he's like, you you won't know who your true friends are until they help you move. I said, Okay. But with you know, no promise of pizza. I mean yeah, still give no them pizza, but no reward, promise. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well Mark Twain has a he has a lot several quotes about friendship. Another one actually it talks about that how how the, the 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 pure joy that comes from friendship can only be ruined when you ask for when you loan a friend money. <laughs> I don't have the quote memorized, but but yeah, that's uh, so Mark Twain. You know, and it, it, growing up, his story is kind of mystical to me because you know he came in with Haley's comet and he went out with Haley's comet. Oh, really? That's yeah. Fun. So yeah, so it's so kind of got to send and all those pull, uh, punch bowl drinkers didn't. Yeah, it's a little transcendent, <laughs> but you know, and I I like that though. I thought it has his own life as a story. In other words, yeah, that novel. is that is yeah. very mythical. That's it, really cool. He I didn't is know kind that. of mythical in in at least when he's portrayed. Yeah. Yeah. So what about you? Give me one of all your, right, your so, heroes. Well, he's not a hero, right? He's just someone I find. I'm going to call him that. I don't care what you say. He's an interesting person. (laughs) Give me one of your interesting persons. Yes. So, uh, Graham Hancock, he was born in uh, uh, 1950, so he's like 70 years old now. Oh, he's alive. Yeah, yeah. He's still alive. Um, He's uh, he's really what he is is a journalist at at heart. He graduated uh, with the studies in journalism and, and socio- sociology and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's worked for many uh, magazines in the British uh, like, and, and newspapers like Sunday Times, The Times, um, The Economist, uh, uh, The uh, Independence and stuff like that. So that was his early career. He was doing like more stuff like that and working with uh, economics uh, and, and that kind of uh, relation. But now, since the 90s, he's been, like, hard-nosed into presenting this evidence of alternative culture and alternative uh, states of consciousness, too. And um, Sounds like Daniel Kahneman a little bit. And he also talks... I'm not sure Daniel Kahneman is... Oh, he's another person we're talking about, but I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so he he goes into that kind of stuff and talking about how... There were civilizations before, uh, like the Stone Age, that were like advanced civilizations. Not advanced in the sense that our civilization is advanced, but maybe more in like a, a spiritual sense, or even like um, different technologies and different modes of of like thinking. forgotten simple mechanics and things well, like that. Maybe more than just simple mechanics, just agriculture in general, having having that ability before the Stone Age, right? Mm-hmm. So. He thinks that the, or not he necessarily thinks, he presents other people's uh, ideas because he'll take like different uh, 
uh, different scientists like uh, geologists, and he'll take different uh, archaeologists and people like that, and Egyptologists. Um, so when he compares I, different menus, different venues of yeah. So he'll he'll take these uh, different um, different fields of studies and kind of mm-hmm. combine them That's together in his in his evidence. Um, and what he he's arguing is that like uh, Biblioteca, which is which was created. I'm not sure exactly when it's hard. I, I, the only book I read was uh, Magician of the Gods, and that's like his third one in the series of, of th- or second one in the series of three. Um, but he has many more than that. Um, so, and in that, he's talking about how Biblioteca was created during, before there was agriculture, like what we cons- what we think there was agriculture, that these this civilization was a hunter-gatherer civilization. So they didn't really make monoliths then because they were not in a place that long like they just they they would be moving around with the food so what he is saying is that there was a another civilization before and that there was a cataclysm um maybe the 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 comet that he thinks caused the i'm not sure if it caused the younger dryas which is like one of the ice ages right um and then they they helped them build this monolith and then taught them agriculture, so that they could stop being a hunter gatherer civilization and grow. He just, he says that there's um, a connection with the same civilization to people in like Aztec and Mayan civilizations. And some of the evidence that's shown for that is that they they both have this um, similar uh, the same symbols on in carvings, which are like very complex carvings in stone, which are uh embedded carvings they're not just like scratched on and they're not like but they're like actually like digged out of rock so it's it's very it's way more difficult than like a, a simple carving um he has another uh thing with the geologist where the sphinx he thinks is way older than what egyptologists say because of the there's erosion that's not caused from wind erosion but rain and there hasn't been rain there since the ice age of the younger Dryas and all of his, his theories keep coming back to this time frame of the younger Dryas. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very interesting just to hear. And it's just, I, I don't so know what's profound about him, his knowledge and his study for you though. How is that? What I your like life? is just the way that it, it makes you think like, what if there was a civilization before, like what we consider to be our, do you our, find that his, his opinions or his theories, are different from say you know like i when i grew up there was lots of now they're all on netflix like ancient aliens and things like that but there was lots of shows that put forth a lot of these these ideas these theories for ancient ancient but highly technological civilizations before that predate let's say you know even cro-magnum man i think that but do you think is, is is he more what's more i mean maybe his is more profound but is it more is it more testable? Is there more evidence in his claims, or is it just yeah? Claims? There's a lot of evidence, like the, the the geological evidence of the rock around the Sphinx, showing that there's there was there's rain erosion there. That and there's also a lot of like you can do um, what is it called? It's not lidar. Lidar is different. It, what it is is that you can actually penetrate through like canopies and stuff like that of like the jungle and see what's underneath and and fi- see like uh like um construction of like a built of, a, of an ancient man-made building. yeah man-made, man-made construction carved areas um 
he also says that there's a lot of um, evidence under there under the ocean, but there's no work being done under the water, like for archaeology. It's very little amounts, and they're all doing like shipwreckage. Like no one's looking at these like sunken cities. Uh, I mean, things about which, making money, yeah, yeah, because that's the thing. It's like there, it's so difficult to do to begin with. It's super expensive. There's not many people in this study. I mean, it, it, it's it's just not feasible at this moment, at least economically. Um, what else? There's he 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 shows a lot of different evidence, and it, and he writes it in a very compelling way. He's a fun, fantastic writer. He knows how to tell a story and how to um how to illustrate things uh his his wife is a a professional photographer so she's taking and she specializes in ancient civilizations so she's along with him um doing all this photography work for his his work and he's been barreling through this since the 90s like he's he's always having debates he's had debates with people where they just shut down and just stop and then walk out (laughs) because they just don't want to because their ideas are being challenged and they don't have a rebuttal Mm-hmm. And it's ha- it's happened a few times, and I think that he just gets a bad rap a lot because he gets called a pseudoscientist when he's not even necessarily a scientist. He is a journalist, and he says this. He says, "I'm a journalist." You know, well, he's a scientist if he's comparing data. That I mean, that's what science is. Yeah, but he, l- looking for he's, evidence he's, he's, and comparing. He's showing, he's showing other people's ideas. Yeah, but that's he's still show, a science. He's showcasing other people. He's not the, the Well, that's one like saying it. a detective isn't a scientist. A detective is a scientist. He didn't make the evidence he's finding. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know? I mean, technically, scientists don't make anything. They just discover it. Right. But I'm just saying that's not his necessarily uh, career path. It's not in science. His, his career path is... I guess I don't like... I agree that I don't like... I don't like words, you know, added to as a prefix or a suffix to to cheapen or or to discredit. Yeah, that's the thing is that he simple just gets a, titles he gets like a, that. a bad rap, and he's, yeah. he's only showcasing uh, other people's work. It's kind of like how Jordan Peterson's not necessarily doing all these researches, right? But he showcases a lot of other people's work on human thinking, right? And he he talks about this is the evidence, right? Sure. This is what we know. I mean, and that's kind of what Grant Hancock does. He's like, this is what the evidence says. That's all I'm telling you is that the, what the evidence is showing. Well, he's saying more than, than just that. He is drawing a conclusion. I mean, and when he does that, have an opinion, he he says, this is my opinion. Like he lets you straight out know that this is this is my opinion on what this means. So it's not just it's not like he's lying in any way. He He's showing evidence that he has found. That's that's his main goal. I see. And the books I would recommend um, would be those the, his his three um, that are Fingerprints of the Gods, Magician of the Gods, and America Before. And they're very interesting. I've only read the second one, Magician of the Gods, um, and it, it's it's just it's just really cool to hear these different ideas and how civilizations progress, and then how it could have, another way of thinking about pre civilization, which is just I just find it very interesting. That's that's my my hot take. So okay, so it has no profound change or in your life or the way you think. He you just found well, it, it just make, it makes me think though, right? Uh-huh. It makes me think about these things that that, and I think that's important. Just just accepting another view and seeing it from that point of view. You don't have to agree with it. I think mm-hmm. it's important just to hear and listen and not just shun, right? Right. 
Okay, Mark. Do you have another guy that you found to be interesting or um, a hero of yours? So yeah, I mean, someone who's been a a hero of mine. I have. A, I only chose one living hero, and that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I really like Arnold Schwarzenegger for more than just you know, I guess the obvious reasons, like you know, him being a movie star and a bodybuilder and all those things. Um, one of my favorite quotes from Arnold is. Everybody pities the weak. Jealousy you have to earn. And I really like that because when I was young, I mean, hell, even now, my goal is always to be both a physical and a mental conqueror, not of others, but of myself. This is where Arnold stands like a statue in my mind. His hunger for success is and his drive to be great, to obtain the credentials of great strength and, and great learning. Um, to be, you know, a teacher, to be a leader, to be an icon. In a weird way, I, th- I think of Arnold as an example for the opposite of Hitler. Um, you know, a person with such grand ambition, but fueled instead by kindness and uh, with a love for all humanity. That is to say, I think Arnold has those. <laughs> that's, you know. that's a cool thing to, to equate Arnold as the antithesis of Hitler. That's yeah, like if Hitler was a good person, he'd be Arnold. Could you imagine <laughs> Could you imagine the power that Hitler? That's had what I mean. That's he, what I'm getting he at. He was a yeah. good person. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think of Arnold that way because I, you know, he, he, he's been that. He's been a politician. He's been a leader. He's, he's been a teacher, um, and he just, I just, I see him as one of the most remarkable living personalities in our world. Yeah. How? Um, what do you know anything about his uh, political career? Was he? What he, was he trying to do? Well, it was just when you. For me, the the I don't know Arnold, but the impression I get mm-hmm. is that he is the kind of person who keeps setting higher goals for themselves, right? right? But meaningful goals, not not goals that are just you know beat your chest and go you know and stick all the money in your ears and, and stick your tongue out at the rest of the world. You know what I mean? Like it's about it's it's about um, about making life better for others. And he he talks about that. I, I actually he gives a speech called the six rules to success and all the rules are good but the, the last rule is is i think the most important one and that's give back and it's once once you've obtained a lot of success and a lot of um you know influence in your life if you can which he encourages everyone to be you know he in in arnold's mind i think he wants everyone to be like him to be someone who stands out uh who you know works hard against the grain because they're they're following a dream you know, he's very much that kind of person. He's all about passion and dreams and, and, and goals and setting and setting them high, you know. And I think that's important. I think. Yeah, that is important. It's just hard to. You can't have a world where everyone stands out. That's the only downside. Well, I mean, I guess you can't. We don't. We never lived in that world. So that's why we say you can't. But we don't really know what that would be like, do we? You know, I mean, what if. What if in some weird way that's where, you know, our our society is headed? I don't know. I think with, you know, especially like with social media and things, it's like lots of people think, oh, you know, technology is making more people into sheeps. They're right. But what is the end game in that? Maybe yeah, I mean, maybe I see, it's going to flower in a way we could never expect. We do know? have more influencers in a sense now than ever. You know, like social media people are, they're famous in their own regard and they're making money just by showing off their their personality in a sense and we got and that's what a celebrity really is i mean and that's how a celebrity gains more 
that's more true. money is by becoming more popular. No, right? that is true. But so, I, I think, I think celebrity is also in, in many ways misused. And I mean, even, even like with Arnold, I think you know, you mentioned Arnold Schwarzenegger. Most people are going to think what? They're going to think bodybuilder. They're going to think movie star. You no, know, right? I and I, I did. That's think cheap, like though. That. I think it that's is? a cheap adulation. I think he, um, but again, something I think he would say because he has technically said it is, you know, that's a that's a good thing to be to be underrated to be. You know, to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To be to be the little guy to think that no one expects much of you because that's when you can really do a lot. That's when you can really surprise other people in the world, yeah. even. And I think he's he's a kind of person who has done that with his life. I mean, his life story is incredible. It's an incredible life story. I mean, it's a it's the Cinderella stories of Cinderella stories, you know. And it isn't it isn't born from you know, an endless chain of luck. The guy is like the, the ultimate hard worker. Right. And he's not, but the labor he knew from a young age that labor, all his labor should go toward himself. It shouldn't just be for others. Someone else's dream. Right. And, uh, and that's why I, that's why to me, he's one of my heroes because that is, I think of him and his life as a reminder for myself to really get out of that shell myself, because, you know, I was born into uh, an Orthodox Slavic family, you know, it's the ultimate mentality of a laborer. You know what I mean? It's like find a good <laughs> job, grind marry, until go grind hell. until you go to hell. Yeah, basically. So uh, wait, did you say hell? Yeah, well, that's the idea, right? You, you're you're a sinner, and uh, you know you're, you'd be lucky if, you, if, if God takes you back. Innocent. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and I I always, you know, I I beat myself up about it before because I I've in my heart, I was always like Arnold. I wanted, I wanted to just fight for my dreams and nothing else. But I, I gave up. You know, I so many times in my life, I said, "No, I'm just gonna." You know, I for someone who says they never settle, I settled a lot, and I can be forgiven because I'm not the only person doing that. But I don't forgive myself, and that's why I'm always pushing to get away from that, to be, to enter the danger zone, to be out front, to be the guy who takes all the punches. Because I want to fight for what I want to do with the rest of my life. Because life is short. Yeah. yeah. So is there think, any like reading reading recommendations you have? For I don't. Ha- I mean, Arnold has his autobiography is excellent. I I love reading autobiographies, and most of them are actually um, autobiographies about entertainers, like actors and musicians. It's funny, and I thought about this too the other night, actually. Uh, the reason I don't read autobiographies of um, like intellectuals, right, like scientists and things like that, is because they reveal themselves in their work. You understand them when you read their, you know, like if I want to understand Richard Dawkins, I'll read The Selfish Gene. That make, okay. that helps me understand Dawkins very well. I don't need to know his his academic, you know, climb or like his yeah. personal life. Like that doesn't teach me really much right. anything. But it's the opposite um, with artists because artists. Um, reveal they don't just re- they don't just reveal their main personality in their work. They they reveal lots of personalities, right? Yeah. Art art is sort of like taking schizophrenia and giving it a microphone, or giving it a guitar, or giving it a paintbrush, you know, or giving it a pencil. And so that's why the autobiographies of artists, of entertainers, and things like that, I, I find more interesting because the so, work to you find a a more appreciation for the art. When you understand what where the art comes from, no, no, it's saying? not about appreciation. It's about uh, it's kind of like 
it's kind of like discovering uh, a new art or like a new uh, something new about that person that it, that is profound and interesting. And I mean, Arnold um, is uh, definitely fits in that category. I think, like I said, when you you read his autobiography and he explains his life story, it's profound. And it's really it's what's funny is that when it came, it's it's been some years since it came out, and he's done so much more since then so you're really getting like an outdated look oh yeah because uh <laughs> that's just about know. his bodybuilding career right no 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 and, it's about his whole life but okay. i mean yeah i mean there is a book but just I mean, about his bodybuilding okay um that i i mean one book i have i think is like uh, i don't remember the title but it was like something i got in the early 90s and it was about fitness and that's what got me into fitness was that book and him and you know my idolization of him is at first just a character but then as a person yeah, I really like his speech of, that he gives. I think it's to like a to like a graduating class mm-hmm. of like a college or something like that. That he, he that's his to. six rules for success. Yeah, speech, I that think. one's yeah. really cool. And he talks about how no man is is an island. Pretty much is what he's getting at, right? And he talks about yeah, how you can't do it alone. You, yeah, you can't do it alone, and that anyone who says they did it alone is lying. Yeah, and he talks about his bodybuilding career and how he. He came to America with like no no money, nothing in his pocket. Right, he's working at I think it's Gold's Gym, right? Gold's Gym. Yeah. Um, and he he's working out there. He's in the community, and he's he's has a lot of friends, and they're all helping him out, getting him uh, furniture that no one that food, food place to live, and just yeah. like like helping him along his path and encouraging him to become greater, and that he he. He really appreciates the work of others that that he amounts to his own success. Yeah, I is, believe that. I, I which think, is important, uh, I think, to be able to accept help from others like that. I think that's it great. is. I think that's what I think that's what I think that's what's in common with anyone I would call a hero of mine is that they remind me of that. I mean, a great in my mind, a great person isn't someone um, who tells you how you know who tells you often how great they are, but instead helps you. To be great as well you know and i think that's important uh i, I think actually arnold makes that i think that's something he says as a matter of fact but um no nah, i mean he's not like some profound writer or anything but uh he's definitely worth listening to and yeah. uh and he's much smarter than i think people believe right because um, he just well in a lot of his early roles he's just a muscle bound you know well that's how he got famous yeah right it's just his his biceps and his chest <laughs> pretty much <laughs> you know it's not like uh that you know tooth gat toothed smile was you know was spread across gq every season but yeah i mean that that is i i think a lot of people he's also one of those people that fought and kept pushing i mean he the guy's what in his 70s now and he hasn't is he really he hasn't lost he hasn't lost his edge it's unreal Dude, yeah because uh he has a tiktok and yeah his tiktok he's always great. staying relevant yeah and, and always... his tiktok's actually in rival with uh what's his name sylvester sylvester Stallone, yeah. and they have the best back and forth and it's just so funny and one of my favorite arnold tiktoks actually is him <laughs> he's going through his a day in the life of arnold right pretty yeah. much He's like, first, I wake up every morning, I get my protein shake, and I add a little schnapps. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just starts working out, right? And then a goat, or no, a donkey. A donkey A donkey it, just yeah. walks by the frame while he's working out in his home, <laughs> like his living room. 
<laughs> like, what is going on here? He's got he's got different uh, pets. Yeah, yeah, and he and he and he still looks like healthy, right? Yeah, and he smokes every day and he's drinking every day. I'm like, like man, blessed genes, right? Yeah, no like, kidding. I wish. Well, it's also hard work, I think. You know, if you oh, absolutely. I mean, he started at fifteen taking care of his body. Imagine if we all did that. You know. So I mean, I wasn't allowed to have sugar at fifteen. So, so I you're mean, on a, you're on a good track. I That's was, good. And then I got addicted because I got the opposite. <laughs> I mean, my parents. It's funny. I feel like if I could go back and watch my parents raising me, I could I could see a point at some time where they're just like, "Fuck it, give the kid McDonald's." <laughs> oh, there wasn't even a McDonald's around us. Oh, you know, man, the. The forced health of living in a rural environment is that you don't have the option for crap food. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, unless you count like you know, you know, too much fat in your diet. It might have been a little too much, like you yeah, know, too much milk and too much uh, other meats. You know, but who knows? So, give me another one of your non-heroes. <laughs> so, someone else I find inter- really interesting is uh, John Ronald Roe Tolkien. Now, ah, otherwise known that. as J.R.R. Tolkien, right, yeah. who's the author of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm-hmm. So, he actually was born in South Africa. And then, after his father passed, him and his mother, his brother, moved to back to England, where his mother's from. And they lived with her, his uh, grandparents, right? Uh, she, actually, she actually died not long after. And... Uh, Gerald Tolkien uh, grew up in a very Catholic environment and had a lot to do with like the church and stuff growing up with the Catholic. So he had a very religious upbringing. Very much so. And then that, that also shows in a lot of his literary works is his oh, yeah, I those mean, ideals. It's, it's very, I mean, his books are very good versus evil. I mean, that's yeah, the, there's a lot of allegories in, in that yeah. uh, to uh, Christianity. I mean, that's the base elemental source of uh, morality. In his worlds, or his world. So he he uh, has a degree in uh, philology, which is like the study of languages and their evolution and their the study of... Well, he, invent, he invented a language, Oh, right? he invented several languages. That yeah. was like a hobby of his, was just to invent languages, which is really interesting how he did it because there's, he doesn't have many fully developed languages. Mm-hmm. Um, he, what he would do is he would actually develop the grammar first mm-hmm. and how the sentences are structured mm-hmm. and then just add vocabulary as he needed. Right. And it, just kind of keep it consistent with the I mean, the that sound. sounds like a very natural way to do it. I, I would even argue that's probably how any language yeah. develops, really. Also, it's really weird, or not weird, but cool, is he would take a word and then change it According to the, the the study of philology and how the the language would evolve, so he would not just take make up a word and then be done. He would make up the word and then evolve the word <laughs> and change how the word is evolve pronounced. Its use, yeah, yeah, and and change how it's pronounced because he would you know like uh uh what is it consonants always become softer. I think is a rule. Hmm. They always become from hard like hard consonants to softer consonants like that's like the 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 gradual evolution um like potter becomes father you know Mm -hmm. so it's pa is very is you know you probably heard me spike on this just now because it's such a a hard consonant but in a lot of like uh other uh indo-european languages like english um um uh what's it called uh norwegian 
uh, Scandinavian languages and uh, German. Like they all kind of like formed from the same. So did uh, Sanskrit, you know, like Hindi. That also comes from the same root as English, which is mm. strange. Um, one of Tolkien's goals actually was to create a mythology for England because England doesn't never had oh he they had one right but it was like obliterated out of existence which he was very sorrowful about he wished that, that there was a, a a common um a mythology around England because there he 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 recognized that there was the Arthurian legend but it just didn't quite seem the same as like Celtic mythology. Well, it's not as fleshed out as yeah, Celtic, Celtic, Greek, um, yeah, Norse, Greek. yeah, exactly. And those are his his uh, big like influences is Celtic mythology, um, Norse mythology, and even Finnish. And those are also the languages that he like uh, took ins- inspiration from. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. he he knew uh, Finnish, he knew some Norwegian, um, and he also knew Anglo-Saxon, which is like you know. Old, old English. The original English. Yeah, yeah, right. English when we still use, like, the runes that look like Norse Norse runes. Yeah. I actually have the original Beowulf, non-translated, and I can't understand it at all. Is it in runes, or is it in uh, the Latin alphabet? It's in the Latin alphabet, and it's it's what's interesting is that there's a lot of words that are familiar, but you, their use and they're, they're even the use of the word. Yeah, the use is completely. Cool. Yeah, you, you don't know what the hell. Yeah, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien actually he has the most uh, widely spread uh, translation of Beowulf. He was also really good friends with C.S. Lewis, hmm. who Alice yeah, uh, in Wonderland. Yeah, who actually encouraged him to uh, finish the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings. Like, because it's, you know, it's such a long book and it's so much and there's so, it's so in depth because he doesn't, he believes in creating family trees and, and, and an in-depth environment to make the world feel real. Mm-hmm. Like the, if there's a question you have about the world, there's an answer. And then you, that will raise more questions about the world, which there are answers for. Well, I read, I read not only the books that are famous, of course, like the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, but also the Simulacrum, which was, I think, put together. Similarian, yeah. Similarian, yeah, sorry. Which I think was uh, put together in part by his son. Okay. And some other yeah. Authors. So with the Silmarillion, um, he actually has several versions of the Silmarillion, mm-hmm. which is like his legend of how the origin story. Yeah. Basically the, the, the thing Earth. is, I'm trying to think. Okay, so the Silmarillion was created first, right? The first one was was made, <laughs> and then we can't even say that word. And then the the Hobbit was created. Right, and he uh, he wrote the Hobbit for his children as bedtime stories. That was never meant to be published. Like he, that wasn't what his goal was with it. He was just writing stories for his kids, hmm. and they were. It was a kid story. Um, he also did those with the letters from Santa, which is like another um, uh, collection of stories that he created. And it was just every year he'd write a story from Santa to his kids, and he'd mail it to his the house. From you know, from That's the pretty in depth, yeah, and he and he'd read it off to his kids every 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 Christmas, and then eventually they were compiled all these letters that he saved because um, he didn't throw any of them away. And after his passing, um, I think it was his daughter actually got them, and she's like, "Oh, I didn't even know that he had these still." So there's a lot of things like that that he saved. Um, the Civil War is one of is one of them because he has like uh, several different versions. And the the most recent version. That is published, actually. Um, 
that one was one that he was trying to rewrite to fit Lord of the Rings because it was very difficult because he didn't they weren't necessarily connected at the beginning um they weren't meant to be the same world but then he as he was writing it kind of became the same world so he he had to rewrite the Silmarillion and that was like his last big project that he was that he was doing and he just he he died at uh at 81 and at that time it was just so he just didn't have the same fire anymore as a younger man to work on this every day it's something that his children say that he really wanted to finish but just didn't have the energy mm-hmm. to do which i mean <laughs> that's understandable uh, right? it's a worry of everything yeah. um so yeah his son uh i think it's Oh, I can't remember his name. But yeah, his son... Uh, I don't remember it either. Yeah. No. Oh, he has like six kids. So, <laughs> um, His son uh, took all the all the notes and and fleshed it all out a little more and just and just put it out there and published it. Yeah, I'm not sure which one I read, but I know I read one. Well, yeah, it was years a, the years one you ago. read is the, is the most recent one. That's oh, the okay. only one that's published because oh, he wrote several along the way, oh. right? So, yeah. That's... that's uh, uh, oh... So some other interesting things about J.R.R. Tolkien is that he actually fought in World War One, right? Yeah. And then he his he had to watch his sons go into World War Two, and fight in World War Two because but that was something that he was very sorrowful as well about. Is he didn't he was very anti-violent and he didn't really enjoy that. That was not something that you know he didn't it makes me think of Legends of the Fall going into battle and gaining glory in such a way like that was not his idea. He, he was very, I would say, attuned to nature, right? That's something that he was very into was was his surroundings and in, in the world of 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 Earth, you know, just like enjoying what is natural. Um, he took it, one of his sons to the carving of the Great White Horse, which is like in England, and it's literally like this this chalk outline of a horse that's like it, it dug into the earth, um, and it's like it, it looks like a looks like a horse and it's really it's very beautiful and he was very upset that they they put a railroad right next to it and he was like he he didn't it's not that he was a luddite and was worried about technology taking away from from human jobs and things like that and he what he was very against with a lot of technology was that it was um it, it took away from the beauty of earth mm-hmm. and that's what he really enjoyed was the beauty of nature and the beauty of of our natural ability um, opposed to the coercion of technology. But his son actually enjoyed the beauty of the railroad itself. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I guess how maybe it it's a changes. time you're born in kind of thing. Maybe. Yeah. Cause Tolkien was born in, uh, Oh, what was it? It was 1892. So, you know, almost, you know, a hundred years before I was born. <laughs> Well, he lived a long life, though. I mean, eighty-one oh, yeah. is a long time. He he didn't pass away until nineteen seventy-three, so he he had and, and until that time he was working at Oxford, so he was he was a professor there of of languages. Uh, they they there are I've seen um, people who understand Elvish perfectly and they use it to communicate. Oh, they even you... teach it. They, there's like a school you can go to, like in New Zealand, and learn. Yeah, Elvish. That's you know, another big on Tolkien down there. Obviously, Tolkien is so influential because if you think of any any creature like an elf, you think of the Tolkien elves. If you think of dwarves, you think of the Tolkien dwarves. You think of a dragon, 
that's the dragon you're thinking yeah, so of. Yeah, so I guess is, he succeeded. He created a mythology. He, I think yeah. he did create a mythology yeah. for England, even though it's not placed in England itself. I think that that is that is, that is a great mythology. And, and everything from D&D to whatever modern interpretation of, of, of these mythical creatures, a lot of them are uh, Tolkien-inspired. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, his stuff is inspired from other things. But they're dwarves and elves in Norse mythology are the same race theoretically like they're just they're they're the they're the dark elves if you will the dwarves are right but they're not short and stout they're not all like that i mean even giants aren't giant in Norse mythology that's another weird thing <laughs> mm-hmm. um and he created a whole new race too um, like the the hobbits, and that's translated into D and D as well. They're halflings, mm-hmm. but I mean, people still know. You talk about a hobbit, people who haven't read Lord of the Rings are going to know what a hobbit is. I suppose that's true. Yeah, yeah. at least I've heard it. Yeah, yeah. So I think that he was a very influential and very interesting person. Yeah, he had a long life too, so he had plenty of time to enjoy it, which is rare. I yeah. think a lot of people who change the world. Uh, and definitely he's one of them. You know, they didn't get to live long lives. Well, he was very fortunate, too, because he, all his classmates in World War One passed were, were killed in action. Yeah, he survived. And he was, and he had a lot of guilt from that, too. Survivor's guilt kind of stuff. Yeah, he sure. He felt that he, was, he should have been gone with the rest of them. Yeah, I can't imagine what that's like. I mean, you can only imagine unless you've lived through it. Another, uh, one of the, the thoughts that provoked in me was... Not only, uh, what if Tolkien did pass? It did didn't survive World War One. We wouldn't have the all these fantastic creations that we have now. Like at least not in the, nearly in the same way. No, definitely then, not. I mean, that's not one of those things that someone else just would have automatically did it. I mean, it's yeah, an incredibly unique yeah, endeavor. It's a very yeah. like you know personal thing, and which makes me then think, how many things did we lose because of this war? Because of people. Well, because any of war. one. One war, we would not have Tolkien. Who, right? Dude, you, I, I, that's like the what butterfly does that mean effect. That we lo- yeah, exactly, but I mean, what did we lose? What did we lose by, you know, some poor sap who had a, a rock fall on him off a mountain? I agree. Maybe he was going to write the next Bible or something. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? <laughs> I have agree. No idea. But, so, yeah, I mean, Hitler almost died in World War One. He, A soldier literally was on his, had him in his sights and was like, I'm going to let this one go and let him, let him leave, you know? He let Hitler survive, not knowing who this guy was and who he was going to become. How can, that, how can we know that's a true story, though? I mean, how do you know anything, Marco? I guess. But just, this that is just what sounds is a said, little right? made up to me. <laughs> there, there, there are there are documentaries on how many I times mean, Hitler should have died. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, it seems a little silly. But he had a fallen angel on his back, is what he had. <laughs> oh, so fallen angels have the same power as regular angels, do they? Well, they had, you know, they. They just got uh, broken halos, uh-huh, that's all. Uh-huh. <laughs> makes me wonder why God would allow any of it. Although that makes me think of uh, another person I wanted to talk to, or talk to, I would love to talk to him and talk about, ah, yes. is uh, Christopher Hitchens. And he's he became really famous near the end of his life because he became an outspoken atheist. And he, I guess you could even say a militant atheist in the sense that he fought. Uh, he said it best. He's not an athe- he's not an atheist. He's an anti-theist, and I think that's an important distinction that some people don't get or don't bother to make. 
and uh, the, the the difference is clear. I mean, an atheist isn't doesn't have any tenets. It's simply just a person who doesn't believe in anything superstitious, right? They don't okay. believe in the supernatural at all. They just simply don't accept it because there's no evidence for it. Okay. Um, so there's no there's no beliefs. There's no pageantry. There's no tenets. But anti-theism is is considered, I guess, militant because it is again, you know, in other words, against theism, against the the um, the belief structures of the supernatural, right? It's in in direct attack and in you know specifically against them. So Christopher Hitchens was like that. He hated, uh, and he made it clear whenever he spoke that he hated religion. He hated all forms of religion. Wait, so but did he believe? Then in any, what does no. it mean to be anti-theist? Is are you also an atheist? Is like an athe, an anti-theist, well, you, like you, an advanced atheist? You don't necessarily have to be. No, you don't have. To, you don't technically need to be an atheist to be an anti-theist. An anti-theist is just someone who um, attacks or doesn't agree with theism. In other words, established religion. Okay. So he was in. In, in other words, it was more important. It was more important for him that people understood he his priority was to be against religion and not necessarily uh, just against spirituality or to just completely not, so, not accept it. So you it. could be like an animist, which is someone who believes that there's a spirit in every living creature, plants, animals, or even rocks in some cases, right? Yeah, like animists. But, yeah. yeah. But, and also be an anti-theist. Yes, and, because and, you and could... And hate organized And hate religion. organized religion. So it's yeah. the organization and the... It's the theism, yeah. It's the organized... Re- it's the it's the religions themselves, which are organized. Okay, so you could part. also believe in um, the Christian God and, and hate the Christian church. And yeah, be, you and could. Yeah, theoretically, right? that, that could mean okay. that. You could be okay. that kind of person. Okay, I see. Yeah. I was just very confused on what an anti-theist was. Well, it's a confusing topic, uh, and it's made more confusing because... Um, you know, it's an emotional thing, right? And, uh, I, you know, there's plenty of people that I think have interesting things to say about it. Um, like, for example, my favorite person to listen to for uh, anything to do with the mind is Sam Harris. And Sam Harris is an atheist, and he's also an anti-theist. But on the same on the same ticket, I would put Jordan Peterson, and Jordan Peterson is not an anti-theist. If anything, he's a pro-theist because he believes that uh, religion serves a, pur- a psychological purpose. Uh, mm-hmm. And I also think he does have some supernatural, some metaphysical beliefs, um, which I personally, I think of myself as just a rational person. I, I do find that odd that I think I think you're kind of playing to the crowd when you when you uh, when you say that you know you you require evidence for everything, but when it comes to the you know the origin of the universe, you're just okay with it being a, a magic story, which to me is just a, it's almost like a contradiction in terms. You're you're kind of playing to the crowd, as I said. But anyway, that was just a point I wanted to make. Christopher Hitchens was important to me because he taught me um, to be brave with with logic and the champion rationality. And when I was growing up, I was the only person I knew of that I thought, and I was really, uh, both in my family and at school and around me, uh, that thought the way I did. And that was, it was simple. It was just, it just, I thought that, you know, evidence trumps everything. It doesn't matter what you think is happening in the universe. What matters, what is, and we learn more from that. And it's more profound, right? The idea like, uh, I remember one thing that really struck me as it changed the way I thought too was the idea that 
you know, everything that makes up the, you know, all the carbon atoms, all the pieces of matter that make up a human being are also the same things that make up stars, you know, or they're created yeah. by stars. Yeah, we and are so literally stardust. We are I literally lo- stardust, I, I that, think. That stars had to be born, yeah. die, and explode yeah. for us to be created at some point. And that's profound to me. That's, it's there's nothing amazing. more amazing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Is that way cooler than God just said, now there's human? Yeah, you know, <laughs> just to, to break a, a rib cage that he invented anyway. So why does he need a rib cage? But, you know, a rib bone, whatever. I'm sure there's some uh, in-depth anal- analysis of the rib cage and why that's some kind of metaphysical or important like um, oh who symbolism, knows i mean right? either well this just it was just a it's just a story and um, that's a fun story though what's what's well i do actually i love the stories in the bible but i don't i don't take them to heart i don't believe them um but anyway christopher hitchens was was the first he helped me listening to him and reading his books helped me to wake up to uh, chant to defending my beliefs when it comes to that, and also the voice of others. It's not that just because I don't agree with religious people that I discount them. I mean, I, I look at a person as a person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're all we all have different views about different things, and emotions fuel a lot of our beliefs in our in our in our way our ways of understanding things. Yeah, I love when people don't you know, see the same thing as I do because then I just need to know why you see it that way. I don't so, always love it. I mean, uh, I, sometimes I, people believe things or disagree with you, but they're really just stupid. Well, and yeah, that's but, annoying. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> Stupidity is annoying. And ignorance is also annoying because ignorance is just like the lack of knowledge. Well, I, I, can, ignorance I think is I worse. can forgive I think I can forgive ignorance because that's not your fault. No. You you can you can that's, you can, you've got it backwards. Stupidity isn't your fault. If you're a stupid person, if your IQ is 83, right? That's you have no you have no way of solving that. You simply are the way you are. But ignorance is willful or at least it can be and, and usually is. Ignorance is saying I choose not to agree because it doesn't fit my Wilf that's willful ignorance so. Well, that's ignorance. But that's you know? that's like a that's like a subset of ignorance. To me ignorance is just I just haven't been exposed to it yet. Yeah, I mean that's that's like yeah, well, that's like the child, key word like, for ignorance. me is yet. Well, I I am yet to be exposed cuz how I'm I'm one person. I can't I, there's no way I'm going to ever be able to read the Vedas in in Sanskrit. But they have many uh, interesting ideas and fantastic stories about creation and just like the how um, a god can be a manifestation in many different ways. There's so many cool things. Well, but I, it, I will never be able to read it in the same way that it needs to. It, I will it, say meant to be read. Yeah. And the same thing with the Quran. Like you're supposed to be read the Quran in, in Arabic because it is a poetic book. Like you need to be able to read it in Arabic to to fully understand what is the message and the beauty of it, and I'll be never be able to do that. And that's not my fault. I'm just I would have to learn so many other things to be able well, to get ig- there. Well, ignorance so is curable; like, stupidity is not. I mean that that I think goes without debate. You know, you can't. You can be. You know, if you're capable of learning something, you could argue in which is what, essentially what you're saying is that if something you haven't learned yet just means you're ignorant of its knowledge, yes. which is a true statement. But if you are a truly stupid person, you will forever be ignorant of that knowledge. You know, I mean, if if you you can only increase your your intellect so far, it's not like that's a an, an infinitely upgradable element about you or you know attribute about your person your mind hmm. you know you really are i mean what was it i think jordan peterson mentioned him there was a study done 
for the uh, for average IQs, right? Done by the military because the military the military um, uh, uses the IQ to not just to place soldiers in different jobs, mm-hmm. but to say whether or not you can even be one. And according to the U.S. Army, you if your IQ is eighty three or lower, you can't you will be disqualified as a soldier. You can't even enter boot. Now that's interesting because. That's, you know, I guess according to what Peterson said, the statistics say that's one in 10 people. One in 10 people so are 10% below? of the population has an IQ of 83 or lower. And that, that's a, that's a that's, lot. That's the adult population, right? Not just like 10-year-olds. No, I would assume it's adult like because it's only, older, right? yeah, it's 18 or older. Okay. I don't think it's younger. Curious. I, want yeah. be, you know, I want to be clear. So, yeah, 10% of the adult population. Um, but those are the, it's the adult population that matters. I mean, that, correct. As far as, as far as purpose in society is, con- is concerned. And that's essentially where he was going with that particular conversation. So, 10% of the U.S. population is too stupid to hold a gun or too dangerous. Or too dangerous. Yeah. I guess you could just say too stupid to hold a gun. Yeah. Not that they couldn't be taught to operate it, but they couldn't be trusted with it. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. That's a lot of people. It's a whole lot of people. How many people we got in this? That's millions of people. I mean, if the, if what, the current population is something around in the United States is got to be close to what, 400 million, so maybe 380 million. 400 million. million. So let's say, let's just say. Even if it's that. Yeah, wow. That's, that's four, a lot. Of, yeah. That's a lot. No, hey, you know what? Maybe that's all those people. They're the ones rioting. <laughs> they're the ones i don't are, know about that <laughs> maybe a good chunk but uh, i wouldn't say all oh well, then you got a couple smart ones that are organizing well, sure. to create chaos yeah, that's what's it. happening <laughs> that's the those are the real troublemakers that's where willful willful ignorance scares me the most is because yes i would say willful ignorance is is horrible when you have the ability to learn something but you choose not to learn it well i mean that's why one thing that's awesome about Christopher Hitchens is you can watch a lot of his debates like on YouTube and he loved debate. The man was a master debater. Whoops. And he, uh, and a master lecturer. And he, I actually did not intend to say that, but well, you uh, said it properly. Though. Yeah, I did. And he, um, uh, you know, like a famous, a really famous one, I guess you could say, or a great one to watch is when he debates William Lane Craig and William Lane Craig is, uh, a creationist. I don't know if he's, ev- I think he's evangelical Christian, but uh, he's the kind of person to me who I think is a very dangerous intellectual because he's willfully ignorant. He, he, even when he's proven wrong and by proven wrong, I mean uh, the, the content or not the content, but the, the structure of his argument or his morality is unraveled in this case by Hitchens. Uh, he still defends it and, and it, and he's basically defending uh a negative statement and therefore to me that is evil if you if you if you're simply going to defend your belief no matter what like no matter what is pointed out to you no matter what science or logic is used to you know wake up your mind so to speak so that you can see the world in a better in a more positive light then you're a very dangerous person and and that's what i like i like that I would, too about i would say that in an argument like, and I don't really have arguments. I call them discussions, right? Like, or even a disagreement that I have, I, they're discussions. There's nothing wrong with an argument. An well, I don't have think, to, to, to me, okay, so I used to use the word argument a lot and call all discussions an argument in the sense if I don't agree with you, it's an argument. But then people are like, oh, that's not really what an argument is. An argument is like, you, you're, you're angry, you're upset, you know, it, it had more connotations than what I was putting to it. Hmm. So it's, it's, a, 
I just label it all as discussion, right? Which it's, it it's is. A very, it's know. a very um, non-offensive way to say it, right? Right, yeah. So uh, in all discussions I have, if I have a point of view, in that discussion, I will argue my point of view to the very end. But at the end of the day, I will th- rethink about what the person has told me, evaluate what I currently believe, and see if my ideas are are changed by what they said. But during the argument, I will try and make that person see my point of view, and I expect them to to do the same to make them see my me, make me see their point of view, just to give all options out there. Hopefully, they do. I don't think they often do. Um, well, that's my goal in any conversation, sure. right? That I just want you to see my point of view, and I want you to make me see your point of view. And mostly in those conversations, I will continue to defend my point of view unless it is completely blown out of the water. I got nothing else to say because I was proven completely wrong. And then I am forced to um, mentally uh, agree with you. Mm -hmm. But later on in that day, before I go to bed or whatever, I'll think about it and reevaluate everything and just kind of like, you know, in a sense, meditate upon my day well, you're and learning my conversations yeah. that I had and what I learned and what I didn't and see what I believe. I am always open to, to to change in my own mind. And I think that's very important for everyone to do. I wish it, yeah. I think everyone should do that. It would definitely be a healthier way to live, to, to live with others in this world, that's for sure. But look, I think people are held back. We, you know, we mentioned IQ. That definitely holds a person back. You know, I mean, I even thought to myself, like, how dumb am I? I don't, you know, if you're dumb, how, how can you really know how dumb you are? <laughs> there, <laughs> it, becomes, there are it becomes a problem, too. There are no knowns and known unknowns and unknown unknowns. <laughs> yes. And you can't, un, you can't know the unknowns that you right. don't know. <laughs> it's right. like, oh, man, Samuel Jackson got me again. <laughs> Stiller Samuel Jackson. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, always trying to learn. I mean. I, I I look at like Jordan Peterson and people that are cle- clearly smarter than me. I'm like, how do I become that? <laughs> like, is that is I that your other non-hero, Jordan Peterson? He he's an honorable mention, right? Yeah, right. Um, I didn't choose. There's a few I didn't choose because I figured uh, there were ones we both might have chosen or already mentioned many times. And yeah, yeah. I talked about many times and stuff like that. He's one. Alan Watts is one that mm-hmm. I, I I find. Alan Watts is really cool because he is. Uh, he 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 talks about being a better person in a sense. Like that's he just wants to create better humans, and he wants everyone to kind of just jive together, which is awesome. Which is uh, kind of like you know that's that would be beautiful if we could all just get along and be kind to each other. It doesn't take much. I don't think it does. I don't think it's very hard to just not be it rude. You know, just don't be rude, and you'll be good. That's that's the key. Wow. That's actually a really deep, convoluted psychological conversation to have. Yeah. Because I mean, we are all we're all victims in a sense, for lack of a better word, of our experience in life, and that I think determines our outlook of it going forward. You know, and and also, I mean, we don't even genetics, right? Like what kind of person we're designed to be, you know, if you want to put it that way um, or created to be, you know, through genetics, through through nature. I mean, um, and that that plays a big role, too. So that's a very that's a very complicated conversation. I mean, it, it, well, I guess what I'm saying is it, it, it isn't easy to be kind 
Because nothing yeah. is easy. Well, so what I do in conversations or in my verbiage a lot is I either use extremes or <laughs> the least extreme. I thought you avoid extremes. I, 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 it's different. So just being kind to each other, that's a very unextreme thing to say, right? But to say that, I suppose, yeah. But to think of, to me, so using the word hero is a very extreme thing to do. So I don't use that word. Mm hmm. But that is an extreme way to think of the word hero, right? Is that I I am thinking of the word hero in an extreme way. So I don't use it because I think of it in extreme. Well, to so me, I, I, I take I things the word very extreme literally, in a sense, but I also, um, I don't use it then, <laughs> you know, but it's my doing for putting the, the so extremity on it. So words become too extreme to you, you just abandon them? Or I use them very rarely. Aren't you right? worried that you're... You're minimalizing your vocabulary and you're closing your mind a little bit. I wouldn't say I'm closing my mind, but I would say, yes, I'm limiting my vocabulary in in a lot of ways if they become too powerful because I only use them. Because if you use words too much, then they do lose their power. Won't you be lost in mediocrity if you avoid powerful words? You'll always always be fighting to describe things in neutral terms. Well, trying to find I, a gray area. Not necessarily neutral. I do fight myself, yes, a lot on the words I use. And I do and I do try and find the best word that 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 expresses what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And I'm usually not trying to say anything too extreme. So I have to find a word that is less that is more mundane, yeah. Huh. Like uh interesting people. That's not a extreme word. That's a very No, it is mu- not. It's a very it is a very <laughs> mundane word. But that's what they are. They're interesting to me. They're not. They're not heroes. Because you seem afraid to label a person as a hero, but yet you started this conversation claiming your father was your hero. Yeah. So and that that's like that sounds and that, like that, a that, contradiction. Is a, that is an extreme word to use, and I I I do associate my father with that extremity. Like it is an extreme thing to say. And I and I and my mother is even a hero to me too. My mother has taught me how to be. My mother is the reason I am kind. My mother is the reason I help and am caring and am compassionate. My father taught me how to be uh, a man in many ways as a young child. How to be um, how to be self reliant. How how to how to talk to others. How to just be and 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 be independent and, and strong. But if that's you, what if my you, father if you're taught only me as a young two age. profound if the only two profound characters in your life are the ones that were there at the beginning, does that mean no other person you ever meet or learn from will ever equal their profundity? I think it becomes more and more difficult as time goes on to meet someone's profoundness because uh, they've they've had more impact on you throughout your life so yes it would be more difficult for someone and and, and no no entity that I do not have a personal relationship can be that profound too yeah see I don't agree with that I think and the reason why I don't is because I think that closes I think that closes a lot of doors because it, it's impossible to claim that for example a mother or a father could be so wise or so experienced that their source of either, would either equal or shame any other. So that automatically puts people on a, on a lower shelf in your mind. Uh, and then that keeps, that would, and for me, that would keep me from learning more than I could from them. 
No, because I don't I don't uh, shun anything they have to say to me or helping me in any way. Okay, so let's take. They're, but they they're, can never equal importance in your mind. I, no, I don't think. I, I don't think that's anyone, a fair statement. I don't think anyone don't. could be more important than my mother and father to me. Um, at least not until who knows when I. Well, cre- maybe not who knows more when important, I but how create. about as important? Yes, I think that people can become maybe as important. I do think that it can become more and more difficult, though, or it does become too. Uh, it, it is a difficult thing to equal that much uh, profoundness in my life, that much that much influence in my life, because those are your influential years as a child. Like those are your, those are the years that you are the most impacted, right? See, I agree. And what I try to do in my life is find moments when it's appropriate to have the mind of a child again, in the sense that I'm willing to really open up to learning then turning myself into a sponge for knowledge again because i agree i think i think we oh i heavily influenced and once we reach once our influence has reached pinnacles because of aging usually uh and experience then we we sort of shut the door on that being a possibility again and there's lots of reasons for that i think even instinctively there's a like a survival reason to it, uh, you know, and a sanity. It's important sanity because you can go crazy if you're constantly considering too much. But I think there are moments in life, at least in my opinion, where I'm glad I did and I'm glad I still want to open that door to influence again, sort of. So I don't, I don't discount other people's influential ability upon me because, um, when I say, okay, so when I went to college, uh, the friends that I had in college, were not just people that I liked. They were people that I found to be great artists, that I found to be something that I wanted to achieve as well. So I would surround myself with those people that way, because if you surround yourself with people that are that are, are have low standards for themselves, you will then kind of mimic their behavior, right? Oh, yeah. So, But if you surround yourself with successful people and people that are, are striving in it and achieving then you'll you'll want to yeah, emulate definitely. those those qualities so i did that in 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 college i would i would never call any of those other students my heroes i would call them influential beings upon my my path at that time um when i went to when I, when i went to work at medieval times i i looked for i looked for a knight that i wanted to be like that i wanted to have the same writing skills and the same fighting skills and the, things like that and the same ability to communicate with others. That person was Eddie, and I've told Eddie that. And he's one of the people that I I looked up to as a knight, and I wanted to be like. And look what he's achieving. He's you know he's a head knight at, at a brand new castle. He's the first one at that castle, and he he that was his you know he went from a knight to head knight. He didn't do a, an in between management job, right? So it's. That's something that I would like to do is to become, you know, great in a field. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's not that I discount people's influential ability. And I do look for people to emulate in certain regards. But I don't I don't call those people's heroes because to me, hero is someone that is nearly infallible. Right They're They are on the the same level of, of almost godhood. And as, a, as, a, as a kid, as a kid, those people were my parents. My parents were. Where, where, where they were godly because they, they control every aspect of your life. You know, they control when you eat, what you eat, 
who you hang out with, when you get to hang out, they are they are, they are your gods. I mean, that is the so best. a hero to you has to be flawless. Yeah, that's and, very and strange. That's hero. why I don't use the word hero. Is because it is a very. Well, I think you're using it wrong. That's why you don't use it. <laughs> that's my opinion. I am not saying you're wrong. What I'm saying to that though is English is very complicated and weird, <laughs> and language itself is complicated and weird, it and is. it's hard to yeah. wrap your head around it. No definitions and, and change. Obviously, your change. definition for hero is and different from mine. So exactly, and everyone has their own true meaning of a word. And the right. true meaning for me of a hero is someone who you. Takes Superman is one of your favorite superheroes, right? He is my favorite right? superhero. Yeah, he's top three. So, yeah. and what is Superman but the ultimate good character in DC? Like, he is the pinnacle of goodness in the mainstream DC comics. Mm-hmm. And that is that is what a hero is to me. Someone who is the pinnacle of good. Hmm. I can see that. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, um... So I would say my my last uh, interesting person would be Jackson Crawford. Oh, you've got another. Okay, I got yeah. one more. All right. So he he's a he's a linguistics right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, yeah, he he's has, fascinating. He's really smart. He's thirty five years old, right? And he's he's been a uh, he's worked at several different colleges, and he's been a, a linguistic uh, professor. Not professor because that's like a whole other title, and you got it's like tenured and all that other stuff. But he's worked at, he's been a teacher at colleges and, uh, he teaches Old Norse, uh, mythology and linguistics. Um, and I find it very interesting. His, his translations are very easy to understand. I like, listen, he has a very good speaking voice and he narrates all his audiobooks. He has a YouTube channel with so many videos, not just on Norse mythology, but the language of it, how to read it, everything. He, he, he has classes on his YouTube channel of how to read old Norse from beginning to the end, like how to like whole step along. So you can, you can use it how for uh, pronunciations and you can use it for how to understand what the word is, the sentence structure, everything. And he tells you great resources for vocabulary and stuff like that, where you can find. So I, I, I really like his stuff and it's, and I find him very, very interesting because of the works that he's done and the way it's, it, it has influenced me and, and taught me so much about Norse mythology, and it's all the different like aspects and mis mis uh, interpretations of Norse mythology. Like people thinking that Jotuns are all uh, Jotuns are giants and giant, like in the sense that they're big and large, but they're so not. So he's like your main source. Yeah, he would be my main source for uh, Norse mythology. Um, Neil Gaiman also did a book on uh, uh, Norse mythology, which is just fantastically written. It like actually like tells a chronological story instead of having poems that are kind of like out of time, just all over the place. Yeah, and which is that's just what the source of the poetic edit is. You know, it's just kind of like not really a chronological order. It's just kind of different poems that he wrote down that he remembered. Um, Snorri Snorson, that's the guy's mm-hmm. name that uh, did it in like. I don't know. I think it was the 12. No, it would have been after the 1200s. But it was like, it was a few hundred years after the Iceland had been uh, Christianized. Um, Jackson Crawford's also done like uh, many uh, consulting jobs as well for uh, different media. Like he did both the Frozen movies. He did consulting for the, the room. He should be an expert for uh, movie sets and things like that. Yeah, he's done that. Uh, and he's also did Assassin's Creed Valhalla. He did the the runes for that as well. He does. He's not necessarily like 
consulting on um, clothing or things like, you know, realism in the sense of uh, the way it looks uh, overall. He's doing consulting on, on linguistics mostly. And he talked to, they, then Frozen, they asked him if there was any uh, marriage rituals that he, if he, that he knew of, which no one knows of any actual marriage rituals. Like, that's not something that was ever written down. Um, but what was written down is, uh, like, uh, blood brother uh, rituals, like, becoming, you know, like, a, a brother of words. You know, like, you, like, not necessarily related by blood, but the sense of, like, I cut my hand, you cut your hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That kind of blood brother, like, by oath. By oath, yeah. Yeah, by honor, so, yeah. And, and that one's really cool because you literally go under an earth arch. Like an arch made of like just dirt and like rocks, and then you like either you do some kind of ritual under there. I forget what it is exactly, and then that's what they used in Frozen instead of like a marriage ritual, since because there is none uh, written down. So yeah, I think he has a lot of interesting works, and he has uh, his translations that he has done is uh, the Poetic Edda and uh, Saga of the Volsungs, and he also has uh, the Wanderers Havamal, which is like a more uh, more uh, literal. Translation of the Havamal. And he's working on the Prose Edda right now, I think. I don't think that's out yet, but it might be. But he's another person. Well, we to talked check about out. that, yeah. yeah and he's yeah. another person to check out that's very, very interesting and has a lot to say about the, the, the Norse language, people, and culture. So if you're interested in that, I definitely recommend checking at least his YouTube channel out, which is called just Jackson Crawford. He's got a lot of good videos on there. Oh, tons. And they're all like filmed in the outdoors for the most part. And it's, it's kind of relaxing, actually. It is. It's really cool. It's like a, then he's got a cowboy hat on and stuff all the time. And he's, he has a very like, he actually has really good framing for having no like, um, background in filming or anything. He does it all from his phone and he understands the, I think the, all of that can be rules of anyway. three. No, you know? but I'm just saying he took time to learn that and to, 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 to add quality to his videos. Like, he's not just... And that's one well, of his... if he's been around movies and movie sets, then I'm sure he picked things yeah. up here and there. And that's one of his main uh, sources of income now is through his... Uh, through his Patreon, actually. Because he um, he's no longer working at uh, uh, college anymore. He's not... A, he's doing, like... Um, I forget what they call it. Um, but he'll, he'll do, like, certain things for the college. He'll be, like, not necessarily a substitute teacher, but he'll... He'll go in once in a while and kind of like, you know, help out where he can. But he's really not teaching there anymore or at any college. So he's just living in Colorado, just living his dream, it seems like. So making YouTube videos about Norse mythology. Yeah, it's awesome. That's pretty cool. So those are the people that I found interesting and have influenced the way that I think and what I think about in the world today. And I, my goal in life is to always be learning. And I hope you learn something along the way, too. And I'd just like to say thank you for listening and have a great day. If you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't, that also helps. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're still listening, then please consider supporting the show. We're working hard on our passion to create quality content, and we want to bring you much more. Indeed, we've got big plans for what we want to add to Audio Pong, and we'd also love to hear from you, the audience, on topics or content Zach and I can create for you. Visit AudioPong on RedCircle.com for more information on where to support the show and where to listen. Also, feel free to contact us directly through email with AudioPong at gmail.com. Be happy. Be healthy. And, and have, have a metal, metal life. life.